Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. brothers will join me and so I'm not, I'm not gonna mess around this morning uh, that segment is about 95 minutes long so I don't need to do a whole lot to set that up and I won't uh, as you might imagine we talk about uh, talk about three things uh, one the individual reactions to Tucker Carlson's piece of last Thursday and the idea that the American military doesn't take criticism and that the American military attacks individual citizens, uh, which is a pretty interesting little um, idea. The second thing we talked about is um, a culture in which an official an official Marine Corps Twitter account would engage in that and think it was okay 
to include the commanding officer of that unit applauding what happened. I mean, so think about the culture in which that that exists. And then think how far that culture has strayed from the fact that the United States military is apolitical. That we don't have an opinion about journalists or what. I have a private opinion, but I certainly don't have an opinion in uniform. When I put this uniform on, all those opinions go away. I I serve my nation. And people have the right to criticize and have opinions however much they want. And then the third thing we talked about is is the whole discussion that Tucker Carlson, you know, actually had, you know, um, a, a discussion about. And that is standards, preparedness, and readiness. So... So we'll, uh, we talk about those three things today. And, um, and so I think you're going to enjoy that. Now, I have to do about 30 seconds of housekeeping. So hold on one second. All right, with that done, we can continue. So, um, so you'll hear from them here momentarily. Um, I talk about this during the segment, but my daughter had a volleyball game yesterday. The only one she'll play this year. It got played outdoors. And um, against another school that hadn't canceled their volleyball year yet and sent everybody home. The game was played outdoors in grass, so girls volleyball played in the gym, right? But because California's banned indoor athletic events uh, all winter, uh, they couldn't play. So yesterday, I took Jack and Joe and went over to watch Colleen play. And watching how much fun they had just to be able to play another team. It was outside in the grass, and the game went off as scheduled, blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting there with my daughter, Catherine, and my ex-wife Susan there. And why was that solution so hard to come by? Why didn't we say, all right, we're going outside. And we're going to play. Now, I know this is not the way sanctioned and all the rest of it is drawn up. But we're not going to cancel the season. Athletics are important. Getting together is important. Right? Showing kids how to work through this is important. All these things are important, but that's not what most school districts did. Most school districts quit and canceled their seasons. And I just think it's pathetic. I think it's a pathetic comment on on leaders across the nation that, that so here in California to say the only way we can play is if we go outside, so we're going outside. All right. And our our season is going to be, you know, going to have canceled games because of weather. We'll have canceled games because of, you know, COVID outbreaks on teams. And we understand that. But we want the girls and the boys to play. And if the best we can do is going outside, then we're going outside. And at the end of the year, 
We'll find the the one school that's got the best grass and the best courts. We'll all assemble there, and we will have a tournament, and we will crown a league champion, and that's as good as it gets this year, boys and girls. I mean, nobody would have a problem with that. Why didn't that happen? And uh, coming out of this, I hope that the nation takes a long, hard look at the structure of education, and education has now become more political than functional. That's what I see, and I think it's terrible. So uh, I bring that up again uh, here in a few minutes, so don't hate me for it. But it's still sticking in my chest. Sticking in my crawl. What exactly is a crawl? Do you, somebody know what that means? Sticking in my craw. St- stick in one's craw to be so offensive or disagreeable that one cannot swallow it. This expression is the modern version of stick in one's gizzard, gullet, or crop, all referring to portions of an animal's digestive system. What is a craw? Hunters century ago noticed that some birds swallowed bits of stones that were too large to pass through the craw and into the digestive tract. These stones, unlike the sand and pebbles needed by birds to help grind food in the pouch, literally stuck in the craw. Couldn't go down any further. The crop of a bird or an insect, the stomach especially of a lower animal. So there you have it. All right. The United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. Good morning to you. dedicated to the uh, coaches who have uh, persevered through this, who've brought kids to practice every day, who've done their best, and to administrators who have opened doors, kicked them down, sometimes built their own paths to allow um, students uh, to, and I don't care whether it's uh, debate 
or all the extracurricular activities that make education a much more than the book learning you do. It's a life experience that benefits young people. So this is dedicated to all educators, coaches, and people that support those programs, administrators that have done that. To all the rest of you losers who haven't, shame on you. You should lose your job. But this is dedicated to the good people that have made those things happen. God bless you. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well i'm very confident that thank you very much if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You've got to win. All right. We will uh, check the weather here real quick. And then there's a couple things I want to share with you. And then we will uh, listen to the Mensa Brothers wax eloquent. Um, what happened to the weather? Good question. Oh, there it is. Currently, it is foggy in 49 in Quantico. Down the coast of Camp Lejeune, warmed up. Partly sunny in 69 there. 29 Palms, sun in 52. In Oceanside, sunny in 47. Yeah, that's Camp Pendleton. 
Huh. It's appearing as Oceanside today. I wonder why. Um, Camp Smith and White, dark, cloudy, and 70. In Okinawa, dark, cloudy, 69. Darwin warmed up a little bit. Dark, cloudy, 79. And in Norway, late in the afternoon, it is partly sunny and 45. Currently partly cloudy and 51. Here in the Newport Beach, Costa Mesa area of Southern California, looking for a high of 62 today, 64 tomorrow. Um, 61 on Saturday, 62 Sunday, 64 on Monday. So we continue to have cooler temperatures than we ought to. We need to be low 70s. All right. That's what we'd like the... Uh, thermostat set to i want to point i I just want to share two articles with with you real quick um and uh and i'll I'll post both of them in this hour if you want to take a look at them but the first one is a pretty interesting uh glenn greenwald is a is a liberal columnist and he writes some interesting stuff used to write uh started the intercept and then he resigned from it he writes a, a piece uh, headline is this journalists illustrating how they operate yesterday spread a significant lie all over Twitter. Um, and it's, it's pretty sobering stuff. Uh, because it's, it would appear un, unless you're the most naive of human beings, the Washington post just walked back a, uh, a story it had written using an anonymous source that was patently false right before the election. And we're going to say, oh, yeah, it was just an honest mistake. Well, if you believe that, I have some oceanfront property in Iowa that I'd love to sell you. Okay. And this story is about the hunter, the whole Hunter Biden thing. Journalists with the largest and most influential media outlets disseminated an outright lie and quite significant lie on Tuesday to hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, on Twitter. While some of them were shamed into acknowledging the falsity of their claim, many refused to, causing it to continue to spread up until this very moment. It is well worth examining how they function because this is how They deceive the public again and again, and why public trust in their pronouncement has justifiably justifiably plummeted. The lie they told involved claims of Russian involvement in the procurement of Hunter Biden's laptop. In the weeks leading up to the 2020 election, the New York Post obtained that laptop, published a series of articles about the Biden family business dealings in the Ukraine, China, and elsewhere. In response, Twitter banned the posting of any links to the reporting and locked the New York Post out of its Twitter account for close to two weeks. While Facebook, though a longtime Democratic operative, announced that it would algorithmically suppress the reporting. The excuse used by those social media companies for censoring this reporting was the same invoked by the media outlets who also ignored it to justify their refusal to report the content of these documents, namely that the materials were Russian disinformation. The claim Russian disinformation was concocted by a group of several dozen former CIA officials and other operatives in the intelligence community devoted to defeating Trump. Immediately after the Post published its first story about 
Hunter Biden's business dealings in Ukraine that traded that traded on his influence with his father, these career spies and propagandists led by Obama CIA director and serial liar John Brennan. Now again, right? Glenn Greenwald is a liberal. Published a letter asserting that the appearance of these Biden documents, quote, has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. News outlets critic uncritically hype this claim as fact, even though these security state operatives themselves admitted, quote, we want to emphasize we do not know if the emails are genuine or not, and we do not have any evidence of Russian involvement. Just that our experience makes us deeply suspicious that the Russian government played a significant role in the case. Even though this claim came from trained liars who with uncharacteristic candor acknowledged that they did not have any evidence for their claim, media outlets uncritically ratified this assertion. This was a topic I discussed extensively in October when I I announced my resignation from The Intercept after senior editors, for the first time in seven years, violated the contractual prohibition on editorial interference in my journalism by demanding I significantly alter my reporting about these documents by removing the sections that reflected negatively on Biden. When I found particularly galling, what I found particularly galling about their pretense that they have such high-level and rigorous editorial standards, standards they claim for the first time ever that my article failed to meet, was that a mere week prior to their censorship of my article, they published an article by a different journalist, which, at a media outlet we created, with the explicit purpose of treating government claims with skepticism, instead treated the CIA's claims of Russian disinformation as fact. Even worse, when they quoted the CIA's letter, they omitted the part where even those intelligence agents acknowledged that they had no evidence for their assertion. And then he references The Intercept on October 21st. Oh my, oh my, marvel at those extremely rigorous editorial standards, regurgitating serious accusations from CIA operatives without bothering to note that they were unaccompanied by evidence and that even those agents admitted they had none. But as they usually do these days, The Intercept had plenty of company in the corporate media. But those materials were that, I'm sorry, that those materials were Russian disinformation became so reflexively accepted by the U.S. media that it became the principal excuse to ignore and even censor the reporting And it also helpfully handed the Biden campaign an easy excuse to avoid answering any questions about the documents revealed. Quote, I think we need to be very, very clear that what he's doing here is amplifying Russian misinformation, said Biden Deputy Campaign Manager Kate Bedingfield when asked about the prospect that Trump would raise the Biden emails in the debate. From the CIA's lips to the mouths of the corporate journalists into the hands of the Biden campaign. As the U.S. media disseminated this disinformation tale, nobody, including the Bidens, has ever claimed, let alone demonstrated, that a single document was anything other than genuine. 
something that would be exceedingly easy to do if the documents were fraudulent. The Biden team, this is a quote, has rejected some of the claims made by the New York Post article, but has not disputed the authenticity of the laptop files upon which they are based, acknowledged the New York Times. Ample evidence corroborates the documents are genuine. As for the claims of Russian involvement in the laptop story, there were never any evidence of it, none. The CIA operatives who invented that storyline acknowledged that. The week that tale emerged, the New York Times reported that, quote, no concrete evidence has emerged that the laptop contains Russian disinformation. And the paper said even the FBI has acknowledged that it has not found any Russian disinformation in the laptop. The Washington Post published an op-ed by Russian fanatic Thomas Ridd, who candidly pronounced, <clears throat> excuse me, we must treat Hunter Biden leaks as if they were foreign intelligence operations even if they probably aren't. And the only time the U.S. government has ever spoken on this question was when Director of National Intelligence stated, quote, Hunter Biden's laptop is not part of some Russian disinformation campaign. These documents raised important questions about the presidential frontrunner's knowledge of or participation in his family members' attempts to profit off their association with him questions implicating his integrity, ethics, and honesty. Yet those documents were suppressed by a gigantic fraud perpetrated by the CIA and their media allies, which claimed that the documents were forged and came from Russia. All right, so that is the background, right? And then, and and again, let me just tell you why I think this is this stuff's important, right? <clears throat> we just watched the Washington Post walk back a story from an anonymous account, right? And now this was a big story, right? It included censorship of the New York Post. Based on what? Based on a fabricated narrative, according to Greenwald, by... CIA operatives whose agenda was to defeat a sitting president. So Greenwald goes on. This is a critical context for the lies spread yesterday by numerous mainstream journalists. On Tuesday morning, the Office of Director of National Intelligence declassified a short 12-page report entitled Foreign Threats to the U.S. Election. It reviewed the actions of numerous countries with regard to the 2020 election. The intelligence community claimed, without presenting any evidence whatsoever, that, quote, Russian President Putin authorized influence operations aimed at denigrating President Biden's candidacy and the Democratic Party, supporting former President Trump, undermining public confidence in the electoral process, and exacerbating sociopolitical divisions in the United States. The New York Times' largely credulous article about this report contained this admission, one you would think, or hope rather, would matter to journalists. Quote, the declassified report did not explain how the intelligence community had reached its conclusions about Russian operations during the 2020 election. So Greenwald's report is this, is that essentially 
This again, there's no evidence provided to support the conclusion. Despite that glaring omission, media outlets predictably treated the evidence-free assertions from the security state as fact. Vladimir Putin did it again, trumpeted Mother Jones's David Korn with an iota of skepticism. CNN's Marshall Cohen actually said this, quote, think about that. To a CNN reporter, evidence-free assertions from the U.S. security state are tantamount to confirmation that they really do think this is nothing short of chilling. But that is the standard liberal media posture of harboring reverence for the U.S. intelligence community and treating its every utterance as truth without the need for any corroborating evidence. It is one of their defining attributes. But in this case, many of them went far beyond the mere regurgitation of CIA claims, well beyond it. Here they fabricated a claim that that report also demonstrated that the Hunter Biden laptop materials were, as they claimed before the election, engineered by Russia. In reality, the report did not mention the Hunter Biden laptop materials or allude to it, let alone claim that it was produced by the Kremlin, let alone supply evidence that it constituted Russian disinformation. But no matter, numerous journalists united to spread the false claim far and wide that the report confirmed this storyline. The first journalist to publish the falsehoods was Patrick Tucker, an editor at the journal Defense One. The tweet quickly went viral as liberals clicked retweet and like so fast, at least several of them likely suffered digital cartilage damage or at least a mild sprain. Quote, the claim that this report corroborated Russian involvement in the Hunter laptop story picked up significant steam when MSNBC host Chris Hayes endorsed it to his 2.3 million followers. From there, the claim went further, spread by Hayes' NBC News colleague Ben Collins, who, ironically, works in what has been called the disinformation unit, combating the spread of disinformation by which Collins means tattling on teenagers and Facebook boomers while challenging the lies of the real political centers, such as those from the intelligence communities whose lies he amplifies. With this MSNBC host and the NBC disinformation agent on board, it was off to the races. Journalists from across the corporate media sphere spread the lie over and over. Here's what CNN's Asha Rangappa said. Perhaps the most embarrassing example from the SV date. I don't know what that means. The White House correspondent of Huffington Post, which just last week had dozens of reporters laid off, perhaps because while they have numerous talented reporters, this is the sort of thing they routinely do, causing them to lose trust among the public. Date did not just repeat the lie, but used it to mock those who actually did the reporting on these documents. As this false claim went massively viral, conservative journalists, and only they, began vocally objecting that the report made no such mention of the Hunter Biden laptop, let alone supplied proof of the claim. 
That is because, with a few noble exceptions, such as the Washington Post media critic Eric Wimple, liberal journalists at corporate outlets will eagerly endorse but never denounce or correct each other's falsehoods. For that reason, if you confine yourself to the liberal corporate media bubble and refuse to follow conservative journalists as well, you will be propagandized and deceived. Hayes, to his credit, was one of the only journalists who helped spread this falsehood and then quickly retracted it. He first acknowledged that upon reading the report, it did not appear that it actually made any reference to the Biden laptop. And then announced he would delete his original tweet, conceding that the original claim was false. Note how the original false claims, no mega viral, while the tweets which subsequently acknowledged their falsity were seen by very few people. With one of the earliest boosters having jumped ship, Tucker himself, the original, the, the originator of the lie, first began backtracking while vowing he would never delete the tweet, only to then relent and delete it, acknowledging its falsity. Again, compare the meager audience that learns of the backtracking and acknowledgement of falsity compared to the huge number in the original false claim. Thanks to a multitude of journalists with large platforms spreading Tucker's original false tweet, it received thousands upon thousands of likes and retweets. So too did the tweets of other journalists that false claims, such as one from the Huffington Post White House correspondent, and this one from David Brock's goons, specifically claiming, and there's a hyperlink to that, specifically claiming that the security state's evidence-free report somehow proves that my pre-election reporting on it was wrong. Yet Tucker's announcement that he was deleting his tweet on the ground that the report does not make explicit reference to Hunter Biden's lapsus story has a grand total of three retweets. He, I'll just read a little bit more, because I know this is long. Do you see how they behave? Take a look. Prior to the election, out of desperation to ensure the Biden, that Biden won, they censored and maligned this reporting by mindlessly endorsing an assertion from lifelong CIA operatives that never had any evidence. Ignore these documents. They're Russian disinformation. They not only invoked that claim to justify ignoring the story, but also to successfully agitate for its censorship by Twitter and Facebook. So they spent weeks spreading an utter lie in order to help a candidate they favored win an election. Remember, these are journalists doing that. The word journalist is in italics. His last paragraph says this. There are multiple potential explanations for this dynamic worth considering. Maybe it's the tedious hyperpartisanship and weirdly outdated content aggregation tactics that much of the online media still employ. Maybe it's the constant five-alarm fire tone and incessant hyping of overblown threats that was characteristic in the Trump years. Maybe it's some combination of all of these. But you won't see many axe journalists offering up any kind of critical introspection because when the layoffs arrive, it can never have 
anything to do with their own ideological myopia or their own shortcomings. Indeed, when anyone, including journalists, loses their job, it is lamentable. But when one witnesses behavior like what these journalists did yesterday, the only confounding part of the collapse of this part of the media industry is that it is not happening even more quickly and severely. So, I mean, I wanted to kind of read that. I didn't intend to read that much of it, but I did. Um, Because this week we've seen two such incidents of that. That story, right, was a big story before the election. was a big story, and you see the way it got treated, right, in order to skew an election. Pretty amazing. The Washington Post did something similar, and this week came out and issued a retraction of the story. Anonymous source, blah, 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 blah. And I'll tell you what, Does it not appear that everybody has an agenda now? The people that are supposed to report, it's just garbage. Absolute garbage. So I don't know when somebody's going to create a news outlet that actually does fact-checking and reports facts. And when the government makes an assertion, they actually ask for evidence. Well, that's great that you said that, but can you show us, can you show us any documentary proof, right, so we can believe what you're saying. And if the answer is no, then what do you say? You, that's got to be part of the reporting. The administration asserts this. They, have no, they offer no documents you know, to corroborate their point of view. So um, the other thing that, that I'll post in this hour is, uh, is something that Tom Cotton wrote uh, yesterday. Uh, and the the headline is, what the U.S. must do to beat China. And um, he offers four aggressive political and economic steps to counter the Chinese communist threat. Um, and he says some stuff that's, that that we all know to be a fact, right? For three decades, Washington and Wall Street integrated our economy with China's. Meanwhile, the Chinese Communist Party perpetrated a devastating trade war against our nation. Through systematic cheating, theft, and espionage, China destroyed millions of American jobs and gained a dominant position in the manufacturing of advanced technology and essential supply. Our economies are now dangerously entwined, and the United States continues to fuel the growth of our greatest adversary. Adversary, This must end. So he offers four. Um, he offers four uh, steps to doing that, and uh, I'll put that link in the uh, in this article. So, without further ado, uh, the Mentz brothers. And again, we're talking about uh, um, with all four of us. We're talking about um, individual reactions to things Tucker Carlson said that are in, in I think that are that are blatantly out of bounds for people in uniform. We're talking. Uh, we also talk about a command culture, in which people would think that that's the right thing to do. And then we talked about about standards, readiness, preparedness. 
under the under the guise of the only thing that's stake that's that's at stake in this in this contest with China is the rules based order that was given to us coming out of uh, the Second World War that has kept the world largely at peace over the last eighty years. That's the only thing that's at stake. All right. That's the only thing that's at stake. So sit back, relax, enjoy this. <laughs> 